well. We're going to start today's conversation with our special guest, Stefania Mallet, CEO of Easy Cater. Stefania, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So, Stefania, let's start by your introducing yourself to our audience. Tell us about Easy Cater. What do you do? Let's just level set first. Sure. Thank you. EasyCater is a marketplace. We're the only nationwide marketplace that allows uh, business professionals to order catering in support of any business meeting anywhere in the country. We have online ordering. We have one and a half million on-time ratings and reviews, particular to the uh, catering performance of the caterers and restaurants on our website. We have five-star customer service. It makes it so that business people can find reliable catering for a meeting anywhere in the country. And it's only B2B catering, so not B2B. consumers. Yeah, thank you. We really prefer to stay away from your wedding, stay away from your birthday parties. <laughs> we are for um, corporate events. Corporate events, exactly right. Got it. Okay, well, how did you identify this opportunity? This opportunity smacked us in the face. <laughs> in my last company, we were helping business people set up business meetings for the purpose of sales and marketing. And in the meetings in which we were uh, facilitating, we kept hearing, can you please make the food appear for this meeting? And so we came to understand that making food appear for a business meeting in a reliable and easy fashion with careful mop-up at the end for expense receipts and any kind of problems was a, a very strong business meeting. And so we ended up, when we, when we ran into a brick wall with that company, we immediately shut that down and started up a new one, which is the Easy Cater, making the food and, uh, for You mentioned expense reporting, so that means that your workflow, the software tackles all of that, expense reporting and plugging into the expense reporting systems exactly. of the organization. Exactly right. Exactly awesome. right. Yep. Sounds great. So, uh, one question that, you know, two-sided marketplaces are a very popular uh, business model right now, as you know. A lot of people are doing a lot of two-sided marketplaces in every possible niche. But they do have a chicken and egg challenge at the beginning. So in, in your journey, how did you solve your chicken and egg problem and get the transactions flowing? Sure. That's a good question. And it's indeed a chicken and egg problem. We even have a slide from our for early deck that that has a picture of a chicken and a picture of an egg, which we said, how do we fix this thing? Uh, what we did that worked extremely well for us was particular to our space, and, and it is part of our secret sauce. So I cannot give the tactics, but I can give one general piece of advice. My recommendation, my strong recommendation is work on the supply side first. And it happened. We were not smart enough to figure this out. We did this by chance, but in hindsight, I see it was brilliant. It happened that we did not charge the supply side to be on our marketplace until they got business. So they were willing to be patient. That was pretty important. We signed them up, we brought them on and said, relax. At most, uh, you're gonna get fabulous orders from us. At least nothing, the worst that'll happen to you is nothing. So at a minimum, nothing bad will happen to you. So be patient with us. And having more supply, dragged in, drew in customers and convinced the customers to stay with us. So I strongly recommend to everybody, pick 
Cole, I don't know whether you call it supply the chicken or the egg, but pick supply first. Do that one first. And try well, to do no, it. I think the, the reality is that on the supply side, usually people look at these marketplaces as a marketing channel. So yes. they get exposure, they get the possibility of business, and, and that is indeed the easiest side to crack in terms of getting them on the platform. So now what about the demand side? How did you get the demand side? How did you generate the customers for the suppliers then? So at the beginning, mind you, this was 10 years ago. At the beginning, we did outbound email marketing. And that was because we had a good email list from our last company. That was inexpensive but slow. Pretty rapidly when we got uh, to where our bootstrapped results gave us enough um, hope and enough encouraging traction that we could raise a little more money. We went for outbound SEM. We went to SEM and we should have gone to SEO earlier than we did. We didn't do that. We're now mm -hmm. pushing hard on SEO, but digital marketing, digital customer acquisition using just the traditional, traditional, what's now would be called traditional, didn't exist 10 years ago, uh, mechanisms. For us, since it's a B2B audience, LinkedIn is a good way to do it in addition to Google and Bing, uh, reaching out to clients, prospects that are like the clients we have. And I imagine you did it by geography, right? Where you had suppliers, you went after customers? Yes, those quickly as possible. We had suppliers everywhere, and so that allowed us to advertise everywhere uh, and allowed us to do digital advertising everywhere or to do um, search engine marketing everywhere. Scale helps. The faster, I, I mean, another piece of advice to a two-sided marketplace is fake the scale until you have it. <laughs> scale so let's, uh, it. let's talk about you. you mentioned briefly about financing. Let's talk about your financing strategy. How did you finance? What were the metrics with which you sure. raised your first financing and, and second financing and so forth? Sure. We bootstrapped this initially. We started, our seed money was $125,000, of which Briscoe Rogers, my co-founder, and I put in, um, I'm going to get this wrong, but I think 25 of the 125. We didn't take salaries. We did it. We worked literally out of my kitchen. Uh, had a bigger kitchen than he did, so that's how we picked my house. We had angels who were backing us. They had uh, lost money and made money on one or the other of us in the past, but they believed in us as individuals. Uh, those angels helped us. Then every time we took money, we raised exactly as much money as we knew what to do with and mm -hmm. made a case for, Fine. we think we will accomplish X, Y, Z with this money, and we think this is how we can put this money to work. And then, and then we did that. We didn't always do exactly what we said, but we generally ended up with better results in some areas and not as good results in others, but by and large, putting the money to work in the way that we said it was going to be used and showing very encouraging results with it. So that made it easier to raise the next money. But again, we never raised more money than we knew what to do with. Uh, so the $125,000 was raised on concept or was it was raised on some bit of bootstrapped results already? That was raised on entirely on the come. What we did with that was we said, look, in our last company, we helped our clients for the last company. Uh, we drove 1,500 orders to other people's 
on-site, uh, sorry, website ordering portals. We drove 1,500 orders to these other companies with whom we were partnering, and we could see how those worked, and we could see that this is a real need. So on the strength of data that, that we had facilitated, but that wasn't in our marketplace, we were able to say, give us this money to, to figure out if there's something real here. And you and had fast relationships with these people. You and your co-founder had relationships with these people who put in that yeah. money. That first set of angels, they knew us already. They believed in yeah. us. They believed in us. It makes a huge difference. Helps a lot. But I'll tell you, every one of them, there was a moment where they didn't know us, where they invested in either Briscoe or me or both of us in a previous life. So uh, that was the first time. you got to convince people at the beginning. And there you do that with as compelling a story as you can make and with being the most uh, seeming to be somebody who's worth investing in, being looking like a responsible, knowledgeable, agile-driven individual. Well, I think part of the issue we are dealing with right now, and the reason I'm probing this a little bit with you, is that uh, you know, in the last five years especially, I would say in the last decade, but definitely more in the last five years, um, seed, investors, seed investment has moved upstream. So people are looking for validated businesses before they're willing to put in money. If you're a first-time entrepreneur, if, you're, if you have credibility with investors and they're willing to let you do a lot, give you a lot more leeway, but for, for the vast majority of entrepreneurs who are doing it for the first time, they have to kind of prove their concept before people are willing to put in money. That's why I was asking you what were the metrics uh, in the beginning. So that was the Thank first you. angel round. What happens after this? What, what is the next major milestone for raising money and what metrics did you have at that point? If, may I add something to the point you were just making before and then I will answer the, your next question? Uh, of course. It, I think I've been doing this long enough that I've heard many times people say, well, you have to have a really good, pro, you know, be fully um, proven before you can raise money and, and how do you, I've, I've heard that many times. I don't actually know what the statistics say. You're probably right that it's more difficult than it was, but I just don't know what the stats are. I can say this though. If you can demonstrate that you can get passionate followers, do it with an envelope, with the back of an envelope, do it on the back of a napkin, do it with the most ugly built in some stupid tool that your 14 year old helps you with, uh, prototype, if you can show passionate followers, then you can probably, that, that will help you hugely in getting to your first round of investment. Even if it's only a couple of people, if there's real passion there, that will help a lot. Um, so let's go and, to your journey. Yeah. 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 So then every time we uh, had spent the money and seen the results, and seeing more passion and seeing more uptake and seeing more uh, validation of our initial results or, or initial hypotheses, then we went out and raised some more money. And we discovered our investors would say their history has been, if something looks like it's working, we'll put more money in. So when we were can able you to- get a bit, Can you get a bit more specific on like, what was the next round of financing and what sure. were the metrics of that round? Sure. So the round after the 125000 was, I think, a whopping 67000 because we were still working on their belief in us. We did not yet have enough results to believe in the business. 
And so we okay. took the 67,000. An extended seed. Yeah, it was extended seed. And with that, then we were able to show some really passionate adoption from a small number of highly passionate users. With that, we were able to bridge ourselves to a million-dollar round okay. with people who didn't know us. And the million-dollar round was we gave some sense of what we thought we would do with it, uh, what results we thought we would get with it, and a year later went back and said, guess what, people, we did that. Can we have more? And then we raised $2 million. So let me underscore um, the double seed scenario also, because right now, uh, if you look at the, again, the funding universe, the CDZ gap is a very big gap. And if you just look at the numbers of what's happening out there, 70,000 angel investments, but only about 1,200 venture investments per year. Yeah. So the Series A gap is a deep chasm in which a lot of companies are falling. So you may have to do double seed or triple seed, you know, three rounds of seed before you are ready for Series A because the 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 Funds that are looking for looking to invest in Series A have moved upstream. Sure, they've raised sure. larger and larger funds, and as a result, there are lots of um, you know companies that lots of funds that are looking to invest five to seven million dollars to do a five to seven million dollar round. You need metrics that are way beyond uh, what used to be a traditional Series A. The good news is there are funds that have come into the business that are smaller funds, you know, 50 to $100 million, maybe $120 million funds that are doing the $1 to $3 million or $2 to $3 million Series A. But even there, what they're looking for in terms of your proof points have become much, much more stringent. So, so you have to watch the Series A gap. And what Stefania is relating of her story of doing a second seed and sometimes a third seed may be what you would need to do. So be careful about equity. If you give up way too much equity right at the very beginning, then you can't do all these things by a big, because then by the time you raise your Series A, you are diluted to like 2% of ownership in the company, and that's no good. So, so these are the you know, intricacies of early stage financing. May I add something else to that? We also, we, we went to the million dollar round, that was still angels. It was a group of angels. Uh, yeah. Launchpad is a consortium here in Boston. They're a consortium in many cities. Launchpad is apparently one of the bigger ones in the country, but it is a consortium of doctors and dentists and high-tech entrepreneurs and all kinds of individuals yeah. who together scraped together the million dollars. Yeah. They also were lead in our $2 million round. Then we graduated, I think of it as we graduated from those angels to super angels. We had a couple of individuals who could write three or $400,000 checks themselves, which our results were strong enough at that point that the group of angels that we knew introduced us to these super angels. And it was only after we'd raised six, six million in four or five separate rounds that we that we broke into true venture. Mm -hmm. So um, what is the total amount of money that you have raised so far? Yeah, 10 million, right? Million. 70. 70. Yeah. 
Okay, let's discuss your growth strategy. What have been the key levers of growth? Uh, for us, um, I know this sounds silly, having more customers. Uh, but How? secondly, increasing the retention of those customers. We've had very strong customer Let's retention. first talk about customer acquisition, then we'll talk about retention. What is the primary customer acquisition strategy that has been scalable for you? Yeah, search engine marketing. That's our primary. Uh, to even today, I would say 90 plus percent. I, would, I mean, I know that it's more than 90 percent of our customers come in through search engine marketing, and then the follow-on of that. There is word of mouth. Uh, we encourage strong word of mouth, and we, because people like what we do, we get that. But it all follows from the search engine marketing. Uh, so, um, would you be willing to discuss? A bit of how you, um, you know, calculate your search engine marketing ROI. Like, what are you willing to pay for leads? What kind of customer lifetime value are you equating that with in your business? Sure, sure. So we look at all-in customer acquisition cost, which includes the cost of uh, uh, the total dollars we spend to the search engine to the search engines, and the cost of any promotions that we might include, you know, buy from us your first order, you'll get $25 off kind of thing. So we accumulate all of those costs together. Uh, we also include in the cost of, the, of our marketing department and our search engine marketing people. And we divide that by the number of customers that we have to acquire, that we acquire through this to give us our customer acquisition costs. Then we look at the lifetime, well, the year one value. We've, we decided it was a more conservative measure to look at year one value of bookings and revenue from these customers. At the beginning, we can only estimate it, uh, but by now we've been around long enough that we're pretty good at estimating. And we assess the CAC, the customer acquisition cost divided by year one bookings value, we look at those ratios, and then we look at the payback, which is a function, of course, also of our internal operating margin. Our, the, the ultimate number for us is the payback period. How long does it take to make money back on this customer? Mm -hmm. Using just the year one value. We know that we keep customers for much longer than one year, so the year one estimate, the payback based on year one bookings is a conservative way to look at our numbers, but we do that. We have had the payback period go up and down quite dramatically. We've driven it up, we've driven it down, we've allowed it to go up, we've driven it down. Uh, at the moment, we're at about a year, and we're happy with that because we're always struggling between how hot do you run this engine? How fast do you want to go? Yeah. Where you're just not going to be as cautious, you're going to allow yourself to spend a lot of money to buy a lot of traffic, or do we pull back and, and conserve our capital and thereby last longer but grow more slowly? The balance point that we found is the about a year payback, and that's where we are. Okay. And at the moment, we're hovering around that. We just keep hovering there. But the, the truth is that your customers are multi-year customers, so the lifetime customer value is a lot higher. Yeah, yeah, we love that. We love that. 
So now talk about retention. So yes, retention drives that lifetime customer value. What What is the retention strategy? So for us, being national has been critical to the retention strategy because many of our customers are sales reps who have a certain territory. Since we're national, we've covered their territory, no matter what their territory is. So the company then tells them, by the way, we've extended your territory, or we've moved you from the north of the city to the south of the city. Well, you can take Easy Cater with you. And, and <coughs> you then leave the company, and you go to a different company doing the same kind of job. You have a somewhat different territory, but you can take Easy Cater with you. Your replacement who picks up your old territory can use Easy Cater. Uh, same if you're an admin and you're helping organize food for the management swing through all your different offices. The fact that we're national allows you as a, uh, an admin anywhere in the company to use us anywhere in your company. And it don't matter what role you take as you move around within your company, we can still come with you. So retention is built into the reach of our product that okay. we satisfy people. Fair enough. And find something structural that makes it easy for people to stay with you. Is there any other strategic uh, nuggets that you would like to discuss as part of your growth strategy? Use data. Try as many things as you can. Try each one long enough to actually collect the data to tell you if it works or not. Don't go with your gut for whether it works or not. At the beginning, yes, it's a lot of gut. At the beginning, it's a small amount of data. But continually force yourselves to have the discipline that allows you to collect meaningful data uh, and know whether your A-B test, whether it's in search engine marketing or any feature that you release or in any uh, uh, person, you know, human-powered sales campaign or anything, collect the data to make sure that it's actually working for you or not. And forget about sunk costs. If it didn't work, stop, move on, do something different. If it does work, continue to refine it. Use data. It's, it's Where are you today, metrics-wise? What metrics can you share to give us a sense of 10 years in, right? 10 years in, 10 years in. Uh, the last five years, we've been growing on average 2.8x year over year. Uh, we continue to grow at a pace along those lines. We're going to be a billion dollars of orders being processed in um, 2019. We're going to be $2 billion in 2020. It's going, it's going well. So we and, have uh, your, your business model is what, 10% of the uh, order value? No, it is, you're correct that it is a percentage of the order value, but I can't tell you what the percentage is. It is, uh, it is a healthy number and oh. climbing. So, you know, for people who are listening, marketplace commissions range from 10 to 20, in between 10 to 20 percent usually, so you, you yeah. kind of work with that as a model. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah, exactly right. So yeah. last question. What is your experience being a female entrepreneur in technology or technology-enabled service? <laughs> well, I've been a female uh, worker for lots of companies before I was a female entrepreneur. I, I actually think that almost everybody runs into headwinds, but there are certainly headwinds that are specific to being a female. 
I think my advice is data or results is a new gender. You should just focus, forget about whether you're a woman talking to a man, you know, a male uh, funder, forget about whether you're a man talking to a female fund, funder, who cares? Try to talk about data. Stick to the results. Yeah. Stick to the results. Totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. And actually, I think if you show data and show made metrics, people don't mess around with you. And, and a lot it's of the – because they're actually interested in, in investing in you and, and doing business with you, so they don't want to take the risk of messing with you. That's exactly and, right. and when you don't have data and when you just offer fluff, that's when people misbehave and, and start messing with you. And, and yeah. 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 Very good. So great story. Where where to from here? Are you planning an IPO anytime soon, or what's the, what's the game plan? We we talk about it. We talk about it. Our idea is be the healthiest company, the healthiest standalone company you can be, and then your options remain open. Success breeds options, and so if I will say that there's more use of those three letters around the office than there used to be. And it's kind of fun to contemplate, but more than anything, we just want to continue to be a very successful standalone company, figuring out how to harvest that at the right time. Yeah, but you have $70 million worth of outside capital, so some, at some point those people oh, will need monetization. They're not going to just sit in, and on their park on their, their haunches <laughs> and sit there. <laughs> I know. We're having a ton of fun. They're having... I imagine they're watching us have fun, but they're like, uh, when are we getting our money out? So, yes, I'm of sure course. there's a point. A couple of years from now, you'll see. Something will happen. All right. Well, congratulations. Great story. Thank you. Uh, are you staying for uh, a bit, or do you want do you need to go? I was thinking, if it's okay with you, I need to go. If, okay, if no right. problem. Thank you for coming. Okay. Thank, we, Thank we've you. enjoyed listening, hearing from you, and uh, great story. Super. Thanks, Thanks for having me.